What is up, Strides for Strength fam? I am Michaela. And I'm Erin. And we're RCA certified run coaches and the founders of Strides for Strength Run Coaching. We are here to help you build belief in yourself as an athlete on the run and beyond. The Strides for Strength podcast is running meets everyday life. We focus on mindset, physical strength, and all of life's in-between moments of self-doubt and fear, both on and off the run. Our mission is to make running simple and fun while we pull back the curtains around all things running with athlete interviews, guest experts, combined with our many years of running experience, going from non-runners to now more multiple time marathoners to help you become the athlete you were always meant to be. Welcome Allie to the Strides for Strength podcast. When I came across your profile on Instagram, I like immediately sent it to Erin and I was like, we need to have her on the podcast. Like just to have like a real honest conversation as female athletes and just like this pressure of like comparison and to fit in and self-acceptance and I, you know, like when you know better, you do better. And so just bringing you on to shift the conversation and you recently had your book come out. So I will let you take the stage, introduce yourself, tell us all about your book and we'll go from there. Oh, and I, I literally, like, I remember vividly, but I was with my friends. I forget where we were, but I remember getting the message from you and I was like, you guys stop. <laughs> I was like, I just got this message. I am like, totally enthralled and was just truly like so honored because I think often you know you're sharing and it's like is anyone listening and sometimes it feels like you're just going into a black hole and so to have people reach out and be like what you're saying resonates and I get it and also I want you to come share more it's just the no other feeling beats it so Thank you for having me here. Um, as Michaela said, my name's Allie. I always start off by saying um, who I am at my core is a person that just loves to empower people and make people feel seen, heard, and known and loved. And I think we always get so caught up in I'm this title and that. And while those titles are so important and truly how I go and live out my purpose of empowering people. But at the end of the day, like who I am is on this earth to empower people and make them feel loved. So currently the way I'm empowering people is um, I am an eating disorder recovery, disordered eating coach, body image coach. It's all wrapped in. Um, I am a yoga teacher, a run coach, and I also recently uh, became a published author. So um, yeah, it's been such a journey I am just the messages that I continue to receive. Like today I had someone message me and was like, I'm sending your book to someone and that that resonates like so deeply um, because their daughter had was recently diagnosed with a knee disorder. And it's just cool. The masses that it's touched from people that have never experienced an eating disorder, but potentially might resonate with the feelings of being too much or not feeling enough or are challenged by body image, which we all are to more of the people that might've actually been diagnosed with a knee disorder and everything in between. So um, my book is called Beyond My Body and it is uh, about my journey recovering from my eating disorder. But I think it is so much more than that. I think it's really just explains and shows and demonstrates how non-linear being human is, healing is, um, all the different challenges that we go through. So it's been it's been a wild ride so far and I'm I'm just so glad to be here. 
Oh, I love that. I love that you shared too. Like it's about the people, like for the people who like have had this feeling of too much or not enough. And it's like, I think anybody who's embracing the human experience can resonate with that at any capacity. Cause it's like, we're in this like hamster wheel race of trying to fit in and trying to do our best and always show up as our best. And coach Aaron actually shared something on Instagram this morning that I feel like really resonated with this. It's like allowing ourselves to accept the whole human experience without needing to numb or dim or play small or just like this toxic positivity of like everything's going to be okay and it's like really allowing yourself to sit in those in-between moments and I think what's so cool about your book and your journey and the courage to share that is like how many me too moments you're creating because it's like so many women need to like just normalize the feelings that we're having and I think specifically too for athletes it's like body dysmorphia, body image, again, like self-acceptance. So can you take us back to Allie as a younger athlete? Like what was she doing? How did she see herself versus where she's at now? Yeah. Oh, um, I, I just loved all the points that you touched on and it's been so many of me too. And from all genders too. And I think it definitely touches on women more, but I do think, um, it touches across all spectrums, non-binary males, uh, the whole whole spectrum. So, um, for me, there's actually one of the first chapters in my book is called athlete. I am not, um, because I grew up loving to move my body. Like I craved to move my body and I wanted to try every single sport. I had this drive and determination that like I had to be the best. And if I was not the best, then I'm going to stop playing the sport. And so I started just checking things off and it ended up with volleyball was my one sport that I stayed continued on like past eighth grade. Um, but younger me was just so obsessed with being exceptional and always winning approval from the coach and being the person that was the first to arrive and the last to leave. And while all of those things and that drive and that determination, there's good in that. And it was just this extreme pressure that if I did not do those things, it was tied so strongly to my worth. And so I think looking back, all the messages of how my body had to look or how fast I had to be, because for example, soccer, I grew up playing soccer and I was always put in the back. They're like, you're, you're strong, you're big boned, you'd be great at defense. And I was like, but that's not cool. Like that's not sexy. The, the cool role is the one scoring goals. People cheer for the people scoring goals, not the ones in the back. And I think it just goes to show across the board is like, I just had this extreme desire that I wanted to be kind of in that exceptional position, whatever that looked like. Um, but for me, running was the one thing that was never competitive. It was truly my place for therapy. Um, I had track coaches come and be like, hey, you'd be awesome. Can you come out for track or cross country? And I had a really, now looking back, like strong boundary around running because for me, it was my one place that I wasn't competitive. I used map my run or never used a watch. Like I would just go run. And it was so, so therapeutic and healing. It was something I also often did with my dad. He's the person that I went on my first run with when I was eight. And so, I think it's wild to think about my younger self and see just such a dichotomy of when I was in a spirit of competition, how much that desire and drive to be the best 
which is also fueled by comparison, pushed me past boundaries of my worth being tied to it. Where running, when I wasn't in a competitive nature and I just let it be for me, I gave myself grace and space to just truly clear my mind and use movement as a way to tune in versus all the other times I feel like movement was truly a way to escape. Mm-hmm. I love that. And actually, Aaron and I have this conversation quite a bit about like how the like athletes that we are now were shaped in those like early stages. Like, I don't know about you guys, but in middle school and high school, we had to do like fitness tests, like the sit and reach and how many sit-ups can you do and how many push-ups can you do and how fast can you run a mile? And I'll let Erin share like her experience because it's a little bit different than mine with like track and running. Um, But I think it's interesting how we carry that with us throughout our lives. First off, can we just like acknowledge that the sit and reach was the worst thing ever? Like I so hated horrible. I couldn't <laughs> like, and I always felt like the worst because I was like, oh my God, I can't even reach the thing you want me to touch. And they're like, okay, you failed. And I'm like, great. Love that. I did nothing. Um, yeah, no, mine's the same way. And I I'm curious, did you run track in high school or middle school or like was running ever sort of like a thing that you did competitively or was that just for fun? Yeah. So funny that you mentioned that I like beat the school record for sit-ups and I still was like, oh, I still add that to Instagram bio. Literally be like second grade school sit-up. Thank you. No other qualifications needed. Just that. Yeah. yeah. Um, But no, I would get asked because I mean, thinking about the physical fitness test, I, there was like the beeping one where you had to run from side to side. I don't know if you all did that, but basically it was like a pacer test and there was this beep and you had to get to the other side. And the longer the beeps went, the, or the longer the time went, the beeps would get faster and faster. So at the end, you're just sprinting from side to side. And I was determined I won it or came in second almost every time because I was like, I'm going to win this thing. And (laughs) So I would have the coach, the gym teacher was also like an assistant track coach. And he'd be like, okay, so are you joining the track team this year? And I'm like, no, (laughs) I never did track or cross country. And like, I had such a firm boundary around running. And although it was to some degree, like my kryptonite, when it came to my eating disorder, um, it, I feel like I didn't get competitive, even when I was running, like half marathons, like my first half marathon, I think I got like 10th overall, like for women, like, but I had no idea. Like I didn't know because running, like I never tracked people like, Oh my God, are you going to BQ? I'm like, what the hell is BQ? (laughs) I'm just going to go run. I don't know what you people are talking about. And I'd always be in like the top groups, but like, I didn't care. I only cared about what I could do. Like it was just comparing myself to myself until honestly I did, I got a coach and ironically, I'm also a coach, but, and I, I don't fault it specifically to the coach, but I do think that it was like encouraged to buy a watch for the first time and do speed workouts and do all these things when it was like, I've run for almost like 15 plus years without a coach and without it being competitive. And the moment that running shifted to a place where I was coached, I was um, given like different workouts and different paces to hit. It felt like overnight, the joy of running was taken away from me. And it was, I was trying to please my coach and tell them how good this race or this run was or this or that. And to be fully transparent, I've been in and out of injury ever since I got a coach. Um, And again, I don't credit it 
all to that. I think my body had, you know, had been dealing with injuries and whatnot, but, um, I'm getting my second hip surgery in less than a month. And I, when I can, I'll be good to go. It was both labral tears and I'll be good to go after that, but I'm really gonna set that boundary. And I'm so grateful that I have like a PT and just like a team around me. That's really supportive. Um, but I'm just going to set that boundary of like, I want to get back to running for me. And it's going to be a lot of unlearning. It's going to be a lot of unlearning of how do, how did I used to run? Like when I was eight, when I was 10 and it was just so joyful. Um, and I want to get back there. Yeah. I love that. And that's super interesting too. Cause I feel like the reason I asked that is I, I feel like running can go one of two ways and it can go the way that you said, where it's just, you do it because you enjoy it. Like you do it for the fun of it, or it's almost worse than that competitive level with other people because you're competing against yourself. And at the end of the day, like we are our own worst critics. So every single run, it's like, well, I did this better and I, nobody can fix it. Like you're the only person that can fix it. So then you turn inward and you're like, it's me. Like I'm the problem. <laughs> like, <laughs> what there's no one else to blame. Like it is just you. So I just found that really interesting that that's kind of your initial approach. Um, so it's a super interesting story and a super interesting take on your running journey. I love that. Um, how I had a question right on the tip of my tongue and then it totally just left my brain because my dog poked his head out and I lost (laughs) thought. (laughs) No worries. I did want to touch on that piece though. I think like it's part of the reason why I actually do love coaching. Um, because I, like most of my athletes that I coach, I've had some challenge relationship with their body or with movement. And I mean, I'll give like prescriptive things, but for the most part, it's like, okay, here's like a general guideline of where we want to go. And I never use, which again, I know many coaches will be like, you don't use paces. And I'm like, no, I go based off of effort And I go after every run, I say, how do you feel? How does your mind feel? How does your body feel? I do not care if you think you absolutely crushed that workout, but you feel terrible and now you're injured for a week. Like, I don't care about that. What I care about is that you feel good overall. And again, I know it's, it doesn't always align with everybody's like, we have to do this, this, and this. But I do think that especially with people that have challenging relationships with exercise or been in an environment where they feel like they always have to push, 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 push. There's so much freedom and grace to step back and be like, we're not all going to the Olympics. Like none of us really are probably. So how can we make it still joyful for you? Yeah. Well, and I think that's such like a perfect example of everybody's goals are different and everybody is different. Everybody needs different training or a different training approach. And so, you know, it's like insanity to think that one coach could coach every single runner in the entire spectrum. Cause it's like so many athletes have different needs. And I think something that you said that's really important is unlearning this preconditioning, you know, what we consume on social media, the way we see other people training, the other way we see coaches programming. And so it's really like taking a step back and, you know, taking an individualized approach, like not only to yourself, but also to whoever you're coaching or whatever space you're in. And I think it gets, becomes like really one track minded. And I I'm like the complete opposite end of the spectrum. I feel like from you, like I started running and I like got a watch and I wanted to be cute and I wanted to hit all these paces and I wanted to be like the fast insert air quotes, fast people on Instagram. (laughs) So, you know, it's funny how we get stuck into this comparison of what we think our journeys should look like. So I just want to talk a little bit to the person who's listening right now, 
who is on a running journey of their own. And they're trying to figure out like where they fit in. Do I want to be a Boston qualifier? Do I want to embrace where I'm at? I like know that I'm capable of more and I'm having a hard time accepting where I'm at. Mm, yeah. Oh, I, I talk a lot about, or not a lot, but there's a few chapters in my book. Um, I think movement has a lot rooted in language and a lot understanding of intention too. Um, and so you'll hear me a lot. I say movement instead of fitness or exercise, because I think back to when we were kids and we just ran for the sake of running or we biked to our friend's house. Like we just moved our bodies for the sake of moving our bodies. And I think that that's so beautiful. Um, and I think when we are using language of like, I have to meet this pace or I should be doing this, or I should be thinner to meet this or I should look like whatever. I think there's just so much judgment wrapped up in that. And so I think true like freedom and really understanding how to move your body for you starts with looking at and assessing the language you use when you speak to yourself about movement. So potentially after a run, it's like, okay, what do I say to myself during a run or after a run? Like, how can I shift that language to be something that's supportive? Like I am doing my best today. Um, I use the mantra of like, be where my feet are and just really trying to shift the way that we speak to ourselves around movement. And I'm moving my body for my body. It's not for what the person next to me is doing or for that person on Instagram is doing. What do I need today? And what I need versus Aaron versus Michaela is going to be completely different. So I think understanding that piece and then going on the intentionality piece, your movement, why? I think is so important. Like, why do you run? Why do you move your body? And getting really clear on that. And that's going to shift. And there's going to be certain days that, you know, whys are stronger than others. Um, But like, if you say, okay, I want to be cute. Why do you want to be cute? Um, It's kind of this thought of like, thinking about goals that we have and pretend you're putting a sticky note down on on a table and asking who put that there. So who put that goal of wanting to be cute? Is it you because you want to prove to yourself that you can do something that's really hard or is finishing a marathon regardless a goal for you that still demonstrates that? Or maybe it's running your first mile because you never ran before. Like I think unfortunately in the running society and all that, there's like a hierarchy of goals of like, oh, if you be cute, you're the best of the runners versus, oh, you've only run a mile. And that again is removing that judgment of like, what are your goals? Why are you doing what you're doing? And who is creating these goals first and foremost, and then assessing them and being like, okay, it's not me that put BQ there. So what is a goal or what is an intention that feels more in tune with who I am and the runner, the mover, the person that I want to be? Yeah. I love that. And I think, you know, you're so right. It is this hierarchy and it's like taking away the spotlight from goals that seem less than because of what we've seen other people doing, running, achieving. And it's, you know, it it has become so like, I feel like running has become so accolade driven that we forget that it's the small moments that actually matter. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's the small moments that matter more. Um, (laughs) You know, I think it just, it parallels life so much. Like if you are just waiting for that next big thing, the job promotion, I think honestly, like the past year, year and a half of writing the book felt so similar Mm -hmm. to running a marathon. And while 
yes, that book launch was incredible. There's still also that aftermath of like, okay, after a marathon or after a big race, you're like, whoa, there's to some degree a sense of grief and -hmm. a sense of what now. And I think when we are so focused on just that one finish line, which my take is there are no finish lines. I mean, there's one finish line. We're all going to end there, but there's no truly like arrival in life. It's just this constant learning and this constant process. And so if we get so caught up on these fake finish lines, then we're going to lose all of the important pieces along the lo- along the way. Like that run that you do at five in the morning that you don't want to do, but you know, it's important to keep you going to your training plan. That's so important. Or that rest day that you take because your body's asking for it, even though it's on your plan to run or the moments that I just like sat and bawled my eyes out as I was reprocessing some of these stories that I was writing, like all of those moments are so important. And if not more important, because you would not get to that final product without all those moments in between. Yeah, I love that. That's something that Aaron and I have been talking with our athletes a lot about recently is like the come down after a big race or a marathon or, you know, any distance, any goal that you're working towards. And it's like you said, that feeling of grief afterwards of like, who am I now that I don't have this goal on the calendar? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think too, like, because I'm in my marathon training cycle for Houston, it's like, there's so many parallels to life. Like every single run that I'm on, I'm like, I feel like I'm just, like, if I could record podcasts while I was running, <laughs> yeah, it would just be like straight fire nonstop. Uh, because truly like it's you versus you and you have to choose the version of yourself in that moment that you want to show up for. And I think, you know, Aaron and I both ran New York city now over a year ago, we didn't run this past year, but the year before. And like, that was the race for us both. It just kind of like shifted our relationship with running and what we're working towards. And I think it's very interesting to realize that it's about so much more than just that end goal or that finish line. Cause like you said, we all have the same finish line. We're all getting out of here the same way. (laughs) Exactly. And it's like, I went through a phase too, where if I was running in a new location, I, and I saw like a really pretty view or something, I wanted to like really stop and like soak in. I wouldn't stop. Like I wouldn't stop my watch. I wouldn't take in the view. I wouldn't do the thing that I truly wanted to do because I didn't want my Strava to say moving time versus elapsed time was so different because I was like, someone's going to look at that and be like, wow, what a fake. And I'm like, oh my God, that's terrible. And I finally got to a point, like Michaela said, after New York, where I was like, hold on, <laughs> like, mm. I'm never going to get that view again. Like I'm never going to get that moment again where I can just like exist. And I feel like it really hit me on one run um, when we were in Rhode Island and I stopped my watch for a solid 10 minutes and just like sat and watched the sunset. And I was like, not sunset, sunrise. I don't run at night. (laughs) Um, And it was like a game changer. It was so cool and so much fun to just like have that moment and look for that small moment in like the big picture. And in the grand scheme of things, am I a slower runner because of that 10 minutes that I took to watch the sunrise? No, literally not at all. Not at all. Don't call me out on that moving versus time elapsed. No, like it's all in my own brain. So uh, yeah, I think once we get out of that space, I think it's, there's so much room for so much more growth. Yeah. And it makes me think of like how many little moments we miss. And I think back to my own journey and like how many little moments I missed because I was so consumed about perception and so consumed about the only own pressure I put on myself of 
okay, I need to hit these times or I need to work out for these hours. And if I don't do this, someone's going to think I'm a fraud or someone's going to think I'm not blah, blah, blah. And it just goes on. And like how much brain space it takes up versus the freedom that we have when we just give ourselves that grace to be like, no pause, go on that random trail that looks like it's going to be super cool. Like who cares? And if it leads you some random ass place, you got to walk back. Like who cares? It's like, all of those little things that I'm honestly so grateful that I've been injured these past few years because I've had to really reassess like my own relationship with myself and notice all the little moments that when I'm not in a balanced or like my version of healthy relationship with movement, it unfortunately makes me miss a lot of those little moments. And so it's just really, I love what you said of like, I just took the moment to pause and to stop and to soak it in or like, if a friend's calling you and you haven't talked to them for years, like what would it look like to just stop and take that phone call and, you know, not be so consumed about hitting all these different metrics that we unfortunately, I think sometimes are like chained to. Yeah. Well, and I do think too, sometimes we don't slow down until we're forced to. So it's like for anybody who's listening right now, you know, hopefully you're not at that point. And this is your reminder, kind of like a little kick in the booty to just like slow down and really zoom out and ask yourself what really matters. And one of my favorite things about running is we see so many places that no people will ever get to experience like on our feet in like serenity all by ourselves. And it's, it's truly the most beautiful thing. (laughs) Yeah. I love that part of running. Like my favorite way to see a new city is running a new city. I'm like, people are like, what are you most excited about to get back to running in some time? I'm like, honestly, like traveling and getting to just see a new city on my feet. There's just so much like serendipity in it all. Yeah. A hundred percent. Okay. I kind of want to like shift gears here just a little bit and talk about, and you can put like whatever disclaimers, trigger warnings we need to here to shift into talking about like eating disorders and that relationship with like our body. Um, and I was listening to another podcast that you're on. It's very interesting because I was honestly like my ego was like, Oh, like you've never had an eating disorder. And then I was thinking about all of these like diets and trends that I've like bought into or tried to do. And so I, We'll let you take the stage on this because I'm not the expert. You are. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything specifically you want me to start with or just overall? I think maybe starting with like what is considered an eating disorder and maybe specifically for athletes in the sport of running, yeah. how that might show up in our journeys, whether we realize it or not. Totally. Yeah. And thank you. Thank you for sharing too. And it's such a fine line, right? Um, Unfortunately, because our medical system um, pretty much always holds on to like having to be like medically severe enough in order to actually diagnose as an eating disorder. um, It's a really fine line between an eating disorder and disordered eating. And what I look at as like the difference is um, really like how much it consumes you and like creates so much stress that you literally cannot go about your day-to-day life without having so much focus on food, body image, movement, all of that. When it's completely consumes you, that's when I would say it's more than an eating disorder than it is a disordered eating. But within that spectrum, there's so many varying levels and it changes from day to day. Um, when 
I'll speak specifically like more to the running and you see a variety. I mean, there's so many different eating disorders. Um, the DSMI only recognizes three right now, um, binge eating disorder, anorexia and bulimia. Um, but there's so many others, um, specifically one that touches close to home to me. That was part of my journey that I also see in, um, a lot of runners is orthorexia and like compulsive exercise or exercise addiction. And so I think orthorexia, not, I think I know it's on the rise, um, because this whole, you know, in diet culture switched from skinny to now fitspiration and try this diet or try that diet. And eating disorders are, do have a genetic component too. Um, and so often people, we could both go on the same diet, but for someone that has a genetic gene, it would turn on and likely result in an eating disorder where someone else might stay as a disordered eating. And then they're able to get out of the disordered eating patterns. Um, but orthorexia specifically is like an obsession with clean eating an obsession with healthy eating, all the trends. And why I say we see it in the running and just movement space so much is because people, if you go on Instagram, you'll see, oh, don't eat this before your run or eat this or what I eat in a day or go on, have this amount of grams of carbs or whatever. And it's why I'm so passionate about if you are not a registered dietitian, please do not give nutrition advice. Um, you could say, hey, we recommend or really strongly encourage, make sure you're eating at least 30 minutes before your run and make sure that you're eating something. But in regards to specific what they should eat or how, or the number of grams, like that is someone that has had years of education that can educate on that. Mm -hmm. Not someone that's just like, oh, well, this is what I eat. This is what works for my body. What we said at the beginning, it's everybody is different mm -hmm. and everybody needs different things. And so I also think where this ties into is that like exercise addiction and like compulsive exercise. And for me, where it showed up was like, uh, it truly felt like it was a drug in my brain. Like I could not focus on anything else. Um, the peak of my eating disorder was in high school and I would go to the gym before, before high school. Um, I would just like count down the hours till I could go back to the gym, would go to volleyball practice, go to the gym after volleyball practice. Like it consumed me. And I am not saying that that's where it has to be for you. But if you start noticing, okay, I'm avoiding social gatherings because of it in a repeat behavior, right? Sometimes, yeah, we need, we need to say no to say yes to us, but if it's constantly avoiding social things or it's changing work schedules so that you can fit your run in or this in, and like you have anxiety, if things change and shift and there's not that flexibility, um, or your brain is so consumed and counting down the hours until that run happens or that movement happens. Um, I definitely say like potentially could be a disordered relationship. Um, and the last thing I want to say is that every single case is different too. And there are so many different levels. And if you are listening to this and you're like, I want to learn more, I need more support. There's so many resources, please DM me. I can give you them. I can project Teal is a great one, but there's so many. And also if you're listening to this and you're like, I think I might need some support, you need support and you deserve support. I don't care if that's okay. Well, I don't look like I have disordered eating disorder. There is no look, there is no stereotype. 
we unfortunately as society do stereotype it, but there is no stereotype. So all I'll say is you deserve support. You deserve to live with freedom when it comes to food and body and movement. Um, and this doesn't have to be the way you live forever. Yeah. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing all that. And I think it's, you know, to social media is such a beautiful thing and such a challenging thing too. Cause it's, you know, again, like we're trying to be like somebody else. And, you know, Aaron and I talk about this a lot here in the podcast of like, just because you see somebody else on Instagram doing it doesn't mean that it's what's best for you. And so, you know, something that you said about noticing patterns and, I I think that requires a level of self-awareness that a lot of people just tend to like, we get stuck in like the grind of the day to day that we don't actually take a step back to look at, you know, what is our relationship with running and our food. And, you know, I, early on in my running days, I feel like I saw a lot of people like, I I'm eating this pizza because I ran my 16 miles. And it's like, those are kind of the like red and orange flags of wait a minute, <laughs> what, are, what are, you, are you earning your food? Or are you eating your food because your body loves you and it needs fuel? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And there's so many reasons for food, right? I think also in the running community, it's like food is fuel, which it is a hundred percent. It is. And there's so many other purposes of food. It's a place to build community and connection. And I love like now something that I would have never done before is like, I was visiting my niece and she's like, Addie, she calls me Addie. She's like, Addie, can we have ice cream? And like old me would have been like, no, it's 2 p.m. Are you serious? Like I just had lunch. I'm not hungry. And I'm like, wow, like those moments of just there's so many cool pieces of food besides fuel. And I also think, um, yeah, you never have to earn your food. There is no need to have permission, especially holiday time. Like just because you're having a larger meal, maybe potentially later in the day, we still need to nourish our body throughout the day. And I also think there's a lot of like, oh, I think back to those eat this, not that books. I don't know if anyone used to read those, but like so much polarizing, like good food versus bad food. And food is not good or bad. Like food is food. It doesn't have morality. You are not a good or a bad person, no matter what you eat. Um, And I recognize it's really hard to believe those things because Mm -hmm. that's all the messaging we receive all the time is like, you eat pizza, you're good. Or you eat pizza because you ran. So now you can do it. But oh, now you're bad because you ate your pizza. And it's like, no, it's just pizza. Do you love it? Great. Awesome. What is bad is that if we choose the banana over the donut, because we are terrified of the donut and we don't like bananas like that is not a healthy relationship with food. Mm-hmm. Sure. And like you said, it's all unlearning too. I don't, and I, I feel like growing up, especially, you know, in the nineties, it's like, you always saw all these people who were stick thin and you're like, hold on, you know, even at like 10 years old, like I was like, I have, I have thighs, I have a butt, like, I don't look like that. You know, what's wrong with me? And it always gets turned back to you, but food's not good or bad. Like you're doing it because like you said, you want to live, like it's fuel, it's fuel for your body. So you can live your life. So like, I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that, but yeah, it's all learned, you know, it's all crazy. And like looking back on those things is totally wild, what we were taught as a kid. Totally. I also think there's so much unlearning outside of food. I mean, we grew, grew up in the slim fast era and like, I went on my first diet that started my eating disorder. My mom and I are very open about all the things. Um, 
was with my mom at 16. And I also think on top of it is just how much body image and body shaming we grew up with. Um, like our, I remember my mom growing up was always like, Oh, look at my elephant arms. And just would she, we would like stand in front of the mirror and she's like, okay, suck in your stomach. Remember to have a flat stomach. And I just saw all of these messages everywhere we were. Um, I remember being body shamed for the first time. I think I was like 10 and it's just wild how much those earlier, um, instances and the earlier messages we received about our body has completely transformed the way our relationship is with our body now. And it's so much unlearning and it's literally like you're having to reparent yourself. And I use reparent lightly, but pretty much just like, okay, what would you say to your younger self? And how can you say those messages now? I had a conversation with a friend last night. We went and saw a so far sounds and we were talking about boobs. And like both of us grew up, like we both had larger boobs and had that at like 10 or 11 and got made fun of like crazy. And so now we're like, okay, how do we reclaim our relationship with that? And like, it sounds kind of nutty, but it's just every single part of our body. How do we hold space for who he, she, they are today? Yeah. I think that's such a beautiful reminder too. And and just like we went back at the beginning talking about that narrative and that dialogue, it's like the words that you're saying and realizing how they're impacting your perception and your relationship with that. And I think even as, you know, leaders, uh, all of us here, it's like, we, I know that I can do better to like, just be more mindful of the way that I share things too. Cause mm. you know, it's like, we, we all do that. Like we go for a long run. They're like, okay, now I get to eat this. And it's like, well, how does somebody else perceive that? Or how do they receive that? And I think, you know, at the end of the day, it's just like being mindful <laughs> of the dialogue. And I think that that in itself, like that self-awareness can just be so, so impactful. Yes. Yeah. It's so important rewriting that narrative. Yeah. Um, oh my gosh. Well, we have chatted all the things today and I, I can't wait to meet you in real life too, by the way. Yes, <laughs> seriously. We have to. Uh, yes, absolutely. Allie lives here in Denver with me and Aaron's out of the picture. Aaron's going to come snowboard. So then we oh, wow. wow. Uh, <laughs> or I'm just in a different state. <laughs> She's like, meh. <laughs> <laughs> still here. <laughs> like, still here. No. Anyways. Uh okay, Allie, where can we connect with you after this episode? Where can we get your book? All of the things. Yeah. So I'd say I'm most active. I tried the whole TikTok thing. I'm I'm there every once in a while, but it just ain't my thing. I'm old. <laughs> um I at Instagram at Allie Ray Pesta is where I'm most active. Um, you can my website and other links are all on there. Um, my website is allyray.co. Um, right now, the best places to buy my book are, are Amazon, um, but you also can, there's like eBooks throughout. So um, definitely check it out. If you do read it, I like literally my favorite thing is receiving messages. Um, and then I'll plug two things. One, I am starting a group program. So if you love this conversation, you're like, I want more of it. Um, it's a 10 week group program starting in February called beyond your body. And we're going to be diving into all of these topics, diet culture, unlearning our beliefs, healing our relationship with food, healing our relationship with movement, social media. There's going to be guest coaches every week too. So highly, highly, highly recommend, um, checking it out and letting me know if you're interested. And then, um, in Colorado, I'll be doing a retreat next fall, um, in September in Breckenridge. So it's going to be super cool. 
Um, it's, it is a woman's retreat, uh, but we're going to have an in-house chef who is all about food freedom, food neutrality, and we're going to be doing like all the things. So definitely something that if you're interested in, let me know. There's still a few spots open. Um, but really excited about the, both of those. Awesome. I love all of that. I'll make sure to put the links to everything down in the show notes. Um, yes. thank you so much for just like your vulnerability and your honesty and sharing your message and your story. Cause like I said, there's so much power in me too. And I just think about all of, all of the hearts that you're opening and all of the connections that you're making. So thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure. We know running is more fun with community and we all need more people in our lives who share that crazy kind of love for everything on the run and beyond. If you have a running bestie who you think would love this episode and our Strides for Strength community, send this episode and follow us on Instagram at Strides for Strength. Until next time, friend, keep working towards a stronger you.